Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Series 3, Episode 16 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. We're talking parking the bus, clinical finishing, lack of it, set-piece disasters, nightmarish form from a certain Belgian, injuries, brawls in the tunnel, flying milk bottles, squirting water, an unhappy Jose Mourinho, and then, oh yeah, that, that thing he successfully distracted us from, a terrible performance in the Manchester derby as Man United were beaten 2-1 at Old Trafford on a Sunday afternoon. Given the context of the game, missing Pogba, it was going to be tough, and we weren't expected to win, but... That's not an excuse for the manner of the first half performance, and it really was. There were some humiliating moments in that game. The first half was possibly the most frustrating 45 minutes of football I can remember. Definitely under Mourinho, and even even under Van Gaal. It was just so annoying to watch us continually break up Man City attacks, which were just coming at us from left, right and centre. And even, even when we weren't under pressure, Marcus Rojo or Chris Smalling or whoever it was, would receive the ball. And even if they were under absolutely no pressure, would just launch the ball 50 yards upfield for seemingly no reason. When we had Lukaku up front against Otamendi and company, both of whom are better than Lukaku in the air, I would say. And to be fair to Lukaku in the first half, he won a few of those headers, but we just had absolutely no chance of creating any sort of sustained attack from that. And then Man City won the ball back, played out from the back, and they were, compl- and they were on to us again. And we were under pressure for the next five minutes while they kept the ball and looked like scoring pretty much every single time they came forward. It was shambolic in the first half. It's not a good plan, which is rare with Mourinho. Often you can you can get games where Mourinho sort of thought of this pragmatic, not exciting plan in a big game, and sometimes the players don't pull it off. Very, very rarely you get something like this where it's just... I cannot imagine how he thought this was a good idea. It was... Rojo hoofed the ball long six times in the first 35 minutes. It was basically Marcus Rojo would pick up the ball, even from a goal kick. Rojo would come deep to De Gea. Everyone else in the team would go beyond the halfway line, including our defenders, and then he'd kick it basically to no one. And when it did go to Lukaku, shockingly, Lukaku isn't a target man, as we've seen throughout the entire season, and couldn't deal with it and couldn't bring it down and start attacks. 
And as you say, City would just come back and then we'd do it again. Two, three minutes later, Rojo kicks up to Lukaku. Either the ball doesn't even go to Lukaku. Rojo is not, is not perfect passing. He's a, he's a decent ball-playing centre-back. He's not going to hit Lukaku with every time. And when Lindelof came on in the second half, it was very slightly improved. But it wasn't surprising that that tactic failed in the first half. And the only reason it wasn't the most frustrating half of, of football for a long time from Man United is because we got a goal at the end of it and we went in 1-1, which was very satisfying, suddenly seeing City's away end just sort of pipe down very very quickly. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was probably the only nice moment of that half. It was The thing, the thing that got me about, about the first half, and I, I've said this before on this podcast and I've, I've tweeted it many times before, is that I don't necessarily mind us playing defensively in big games. Like no, no matter which manager we've had, there have always been certain games where you have to pay the opposition a certain amount of respect, and you have to set up more defensively than you would do in other games. Even when uh, Ferguson was our manager, when we went into big games against teams that had a, a a lot of quality going forward, like Man City do, we would set up more defensively than normal, and and we would try and soak up that pressure and hit them on the counter attack. What was frustrating to me was that there seemed to be no coherent plan of how to stop the pressure being put on us. Because ultimately, if you are playing a team like Man City that have so many weapons going forward, the best way, believe it or not, to try and stop them from scoring and stop them from having so many great attacks is to try and keep the ball yourselves for periods, give your defence a breather, and try and relieve some of that pressure rather than just, just saying, OK, they're going to attack us every single every minute of the game. We just need to try and be good defensively. That's just not a feasible plan. We, we we saw that even against Arsenal last week where, they, they, what was it, 33 shots they had and we got lucky because De Gea had a sub, sublime performance in goal. But that's just not a feasible way of playing. And so I don't really understand what any kind of idea was. Yes, Man, Man City are a very good team going forward, but defensively they are not that great. And we, except for a three or four minute period after they scored their first goal, when we then went on and scored our first goal, we never even tested their defence because every single time we got the ball, it just went long to Lukaku. They would win the header or win the second ball or the third ball if they didn't win the first two. And then they would come straight back at us. We did not test company, Otamendi, Delph, Walker. And that is by no means a very solid back four. And we've, we've seen that in the last few weeks. They've, str- they've struggled. They've still been getting wins, but they have struggled in a lot of games against the likes of West Ham. And you're telling me that we don't have a better attack than West Ham. We can't cause them those same troubles. It was just ridiculous that whenever we got the ball, it was, where's Lukaku? I'm going to hit it 60 yards and try and find him. I think we said it after the Liverpool game that we, we're not playing to our own strengths. And when we did after their goal, and, and actually before we move on, for, for all that City dominated and looked like scoring constantly, the two goals both came from mistakes at set pieces. So our defensive performance was, <laughs> was fine. And City weren't that great. Compared compared to some of their performances this season, they weren't great. Second half, yep. as soon as they got the second goal, um, shut up shop, dive as as much as possible, go down as much as possible, and and stop play as much as possible. They weren't that that wasn't a, a very good City side in the context of this season under Guardiola. And for as much as they dominated, both their goals came from set pieces. So defensively, we were fine. So we know the only problem was in attack because both of their goals came from errors from Lukaku, who was getting a lot of stick. Uh, some of it unfair and a lot of abuse, which is definitely unfair, but the stick is fair. Um, both came from Lu- Lukaku errors. But when we did, after their first goal, start going for it 
and City sat back ever so slightly and gave us a bit more time on the ball and suddenly we looked like the Man United Mourinho team that we've seen this season at times of being able to play it wide and keep the ball on the wings. We've got Martial and Rashford both running down both wings. Then you've got Jesse Lingard was dropping a bit deeper and as soon as Lingard drops deeper, suddenly you've got a link between defence, midfield and attack, something that was yeah. completely missing the rest of the game because we, we, for some reason we thought Lingard should be playing up next to Lukaku and if he did drop back, which he did for a moment, then we looked a much better team and, and at that point at the end of that period we scored. It, there were so many tactical errors on, on Sunday against not a great City side who, in fact, it is a great City side but not a brilliant City performance, which United could have exploited and completely changed the title race. Exactly. This this is a, a brilliant seaside. There, there's no getting around that. But that was not a great City performance. You, you th- I, I, was try- I was speaking to City fans after the game because a lot of them were kind of talking about how brilliant their performance was, how they played us off the park and everything like that. If you, if you think back to last season and the, the Manchester Derby at Old Trafford last season, that was a much better City performance than this one was this, this time around. You think, think about it in the first half when City were really dominating. Apart, other than the goal, I think they had maybe one clear-cut chance with Jesus. There, were, there was the, the Sterling opportunity, but Smalling was right there. And I don't think that there was more, it was more of a kind of half-chance sort of snapshot. There wasn't really anything in the way of real clear-cut, clear-cut chances. But as you said, both their goals came from set pieces. Defensively, we didn't play too badly. All right, C- City had a lot of the ball... And they looked dangerous. They looked threatening. But there wasn't that, that much in the way of them actually creating really good chances. And so that wasn't necessarily the issue. The issue, like you said, was there was just absolutely... Well, I don't even know if there was, if it was that there was no link. There was just not even any attempt to have a link between the defence and the midfield. We talked about how much we might miss Pogba. But that is no excuse to then no one to try and even try and play that role. The, the one thing that I almost can't wrap my head around at the moment as well, is why we switched away from playing three at the back. Three at the back in in the big games has been like the way to go this season for Mourinho. And although it hasn't been that successful, it worked last week against Arsenal. And the the, the big thing with the 3-5-2, especially if you don't have Pogba in the team, is that it allows you to have those extra bodies in midfield and you can have a proper link between the defence and the attack. If you play the two sort of deeper midfielders within the one just in front, and then you can still play two up front if you want. So he could have had Lingard and Lukaku up front with then, say, Mata or maybe Herrera push forward. and uh, Matt, or, or let's say Mata playing and then Matic and Herrera behind Mata. Then you can still get the three defenders in, the two more holding midfielders, the one true link between the midfield and the defence and the attack, and then still have the two up front. I don't understand why you would change the formation and then not have anyone in that sort of number 10 centre-forward role who is there primarily to be the link between getting the ball from the centre-backs or the central midfielders and linking it into Lukaku or Martial or Rashford. There, there, there are so many questions to be asked. And one of them is, um, skipping forward a bit, why Romelu Lukaku was kept on the pitch in favour of bringing Jesse Lingard off. Um, I, can't remember, I can't actually remember who came on for him. But Jesse Lingard is, is, is hooked, despite being probably, I would say, probably our best out, outfield player definitely our best attacker at the time for the last 10 minutes or so he was the only one really causing any issues and when he did drop deep he had a huge impact and we bring on um Zlatan Ibrahimovic at the same time so we now have Rashford Martial Ibrahimovic and Lukaku all on the pitch 
And Lukaku was not only not contributing anything, he was actively stopping United from playing properly. And I know it's about having faith, and I know it's about keeping Lukaku's confidence and, and not being seen to sort of hook a player very early on in the game. But this wasn't early on in the game. This was 70 minutes in, which is another point. Why did we wait so long to make a change? 70 minutes was far too late. It was quite clear we weren't doing anything way before that. Um, but I know it's about keeping Lukaku's confidence up, but I I always think that if you're forcing a player, not forcing a player to stay on the pitch, but if you're forcing an issue, that, that issue of Lukaku's confidence, forcing it so that he's always on the pitch, you're not taking him off. I th- I think that makes it worse because if if a player can play as badly as they want and still stay on the pitch, it it doesn't send the right message a to the rest of the squad, but even to them, you need to give them give them a, a kick up the arse, really. And it's not just about that; it's it, it's not about complacency because I don't think Lukaku is being complacent. I don't think he isn't working hard. He was working hard on Sunday. He just wasn't doing the right things. He wasn't good enough. But he was getting in the way and you've got to have the balls to be able to take him off even if it's going to cause a reaction. Because if we then win because Lukaku's been taken off, no one's going to be talking about it. Exactly. There, there wasn't very much of a downside for Mourinho to taking Lukaku off other than, OK, maybe his confidence goes. But at the end of the day, by that point, Lukaku had already given up, been made two mistakes that led to both of City's goals. His confidence is already shot by that point. So I don't even think that that's really that something that can be taken into consideration that much. You have to just think who are the best 11 players to be on the pitch to win us the game. And unfortunately, at that point, Lukaku wasn't one of them. And I do feel for Lukaku because, you know, the, the, the first goal especially was a little bit of bad luck. The second goal was completely his fault in terms of the bad clearance, but also maybe a bit of bad luck in that it just ricochets straight straight to the City player who's right there, uh, Otamendi, I think it was. Um and so, yeah, there was a bit of bad luck there. But ultimately, Lukaku was, played a big part in both of City's goals. His confidence was already gone. And he was, like you said, actively blocking a lot of our attacks. And so why were we keeping him on the pitch? There was, there was just absolutely no reason that I can see why Mourinho would keep him on there because he had nothing to gain from taking him off and a lot to gain by, ta- sorry, by keeping him on and a lot to gain by taking him off, putting some fresh legs on there. And Mourinho will hate this, but it, it's... It, it's it, it, Baffled me to be honest. It's classic Arsene Wenger to to go for the game by just throwing on as yeah. many strikers as possible, forgetting about positions. Yeah. We had four strikers. Yeah. Just, just look just look back to last week when Arsenal by the end of the game, who did they have on the pitch wing? Was Urzil, Giroud, uh, uh, Alexis, Sanchez, yeah. Lacazette, Iwobi. It's it's just it's completely just, senseless. And Mourinho will hate being compared to Wenger, but it, it's what Wenger does and, and rightly gets lambasted for. It's completely pointless to have that many strikers on the pitch. They do just get in each other's way. It's not a matter of more strikers on the pitch, more goals. <laughs> Mourinho definitely knows that because I know that and he, he's a far better football manager and knows a lot more about football than all of us. So I don't know where that came from. I, I must admit, I think the, the, one, the one thing that, that I took out of this game was well, many things, but one of the things I took out of this game was out of all of our defeats this season or bad performances and how we haven't done very well in big games, I think in all of them, there's been some sense to the tactics and the defeat has either come from individual mistakes or it has come from bad luck or maybe, you know, we had the chance we didn't put them away, whatever it was. But this is a defeat that I think almost entirely lays on the on the shoulders of, of Mourinho because the defensively we were okay 
but going forward was just an absolute shambles. And there were so many things that could have so easily been changed. It, it wasn't as if towards the end of the game we had the right 11 players on the pitch and they just couldn't find their way through. It was so easy to change some things around and give us a much better chance of winning that game. And they just weren't taken. Yeah. I, I, I think the players have to take some of it because some, I mean, Herrera wasn't good enough. Lukaku obviously wasn't good enough. And Rojo wasn't good enough. I mean, everyone was not was not on it compared to the Arsenal game when everyone pretty much was on it to perfection. I would say Jesse Lingard was the only one who was who was probably consistently good, just about good enough. And Rashford and Martial certainly had their moments, but it's, it's a struggle for that. The system just did not help any of our players. It didn't help Lingard because he couldn't get involved enough. Lukaku is not playing to his strengths at all. He's not a target man. I think I, the one thing I hope we learned from this game is that we don't try and play with Lukaku as a target man before. Ibrahimovic can do it. Lukaku quite clearly cannot. His, his talents are, are better served elsewhere. Rashford and Martial doesn't help them. They're having to drop back, both of them. And they can't really have an impact going forward because we're just hoofing up to Lukaku. Um, Matic um, was was pretty good, nice and composed in midfield, but not not brilliant. And it didn't help Rojo at all because his only job is dropping back and hitting it forward. It was a system that did not play to our strengths at all, which is what we've said a couple of times this season and it's disappointed. But, I mean, it's a poor plan and it wasn't one that was well executed either in attack. Um, again, we've said this pretty much probably every other every other podcast episode is that Mourinho relies on on individual quality and attack, and it doesn't tend to work. Some moments were just utterly humiliating though. When they were keeping the ball in the corner, when it it got into added time, and I think I don't know how many throw-ins they won in a row, but I was sitting there, yeah, and they're doing that in front of their own fans at Old Trafford. And I was sitting there just thinking, I cannot bear this at all. You're sitting there in the stadium watching that happen and City fans are going nuts, cheering every time they get a throw in. And I thought, this is yeah, this is peak humiliation there. Yeah, that was potentially the worst uh, the worst part of the entire game, just watching that. It was about three or four minutes they ended up wasting in the corner over there. It was awful just seeing that. Cause, and it was just like, it, it wasn't even men against boys. It was just, like you said, just so humiliating and almost patronising to just see your rivals just toying with you that like that it was yeah it was terrible to watch um as for the title race i mean things aren't in terms of humiliation things <laughs> things don't seem to be gonna get better um that you you would think is is that for the for the title what have they they've dropped i think they've dropped two points all season yeah they've taken 46 out of a possible 48 points or something which basically means we have to win every big game and every small game for the rest of the season and they have to bottle four five games losing them and bear in mind they are unbeaten and have won all games bar one which they drew that seems to be that for the title 11 points off it's just about how 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 bad the gap gets oh do you think we'll focus on europe because i mean it's not realistic to expect us to win that but do you think Mourinho will still go for europe given that it's looking fairly comfortable for us that we should be in the top three at least um i think he will yeah um even though I don't think we have much of a chance in Europe. But, I mean, we got a pretty favourable draw. Um, well, a very favourable draw compared to what we could have had. So I, I do expect us to focus on Europe. But I don't think, unless we somehow manage to get to like the semi-finals, I don't think until that point you would see Mourinho start mass resting players. Um, I think, like you said, it's going to be 
a weird second half of the season now because, well, not that we're quite halfway through, but it's going to be strange because to all intents and purposes, the title's done, 11 points behind. Like you said, City have drawn one game all season. And even, even with a bit of a collapse, you can't see... Well, A, you can't see us winning every single game from now on to really keep the pressure on. And B, you can't really see City dropping that many points. So it's going to be a weird second half of the season because it looks at the moment like top four or top three really is going to be comfortable. Second should be pretty comfortable as well. Um, And we're kind of out of the title race. I don't see us having much of a chance in the Champions League. It's going to be a weird second half of the season just in terms of what we actually have to look forward to. I I guess it's uh, there was a point earlier this season. I think it's changed a bit now because the gap is so big. But when we were beating, uh, for example, when we beat Arsenal and then City got a late winner to to keep the gap at eight points last weekend, I thought I sort of felt this is what Liverpool fans must have felt like back in the two thousand eight two thousand nine ish era of um, even when they were having a brilliant season, they still couldn't beat United. And it's not the same because United, because City haven't dominated for the last decade as we had, but it does feel a bit like whatever we do, we can't catch up. But then again, we don't really deserve to to win the title at this stage because we've dropped points to Stoke and Huddersfield as well as Chelsea and Liverpool, which is slightly more acceptable away from home. But Liverpool, we shouldn't drop points. Huddersfield, obviously, and Stoke, obviously. Um, against this City side, you, you kind of have to be faultless, and, and we're not. Um, I yeah, I don't think we're going to shift it entirely to Europe. And we, obviously, we got quite a long time. We got until middle of February until we play Sevilla in the Champions League. But um, yeah, it, it's just, it's going to be a strange few weeks because if we win all of our games in the festive period, that kind of momentum will start building, and, and people will start talking about there being a title race again, even if the gap is still eleven points or eight points. Um, because eight points is manageable. It's just. I think it's partly because City are in such good form, no one can foresee them dropping that many points. But 11 points is manageable given how many games are left. It's just the City side look too good. Um, anyway, any any final thoughts on what Mourinho tried to make a, a pragmatic approach to a big game and, and basically just made a, a massively failed one that didn't didn't play to our strengths at no, all? Um, I think we've covered most of it um, in terms of the game. The, the, one, the one thing I do want to say, talk about quickly though, is... Um, just all the all the people were, or not all the people. There's not that many, but quite a few people kind of on jumping on the whole Mourinho out kind of bandwagon now. And I just, I just think people are far too reactionary about this kind of stuff. You have to think about where we were when Mourinho took over and where we are now. Um, and even even just the progress has been made this season. I know Mourinho kind of took us to sixth last season, but did ultimately get us back in the Champions League. We now look. This this season as a whole, let, let's get some perspective. Not just this game against City, but this season as a whole has been. We've looked the best we have since Ferguson left, without without a doubt. And even though I would say Mourinho has a lot to answer for, especially in the City game and some other games this season, where I don't think we've set up in the best way. Ultimately, his job as a whole has still been positive, and we are still trending in the right direction. But we still have a long way to go and that's the reality of it to not only catch up with City but just to be the kind of team that we all want to see week in week out yeah I mean two more things before we we move on Louis van Gaal came out this week said Mourinho was more boring than him (laughs) I I read that and I literally burst out laughing when I when I read it it was yeah 
there's just not even anything to say about it, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should move on that. Um, and the, the the brawl in the tunnel after, which I I'd forgotten, I mentioned at the start. Um, I think it, it. I mean, a Mourinho has managed to distract basically everyone beautifully from our our terrible performance um, and mis- individual mistakes and focus on Lukaku's poor p- play. I don't think that that was the intention when he got hit by a water bottle in the city dressing room. But I'm not going to explain it all. But basically, Mourinho confronted City. Him and Edison started swearing. A few United players ran over after Mourinho gets hit by a water bottle and sprayed by water in the city dressing room. One member of his backroom staff tells the players someone's been hit. Rojo and I think Romero go to Rashford, Herrera. That the, the culprits you kind of expect um, <laughs> go charging in, yeah. and everyone clashes in between the two dressing rooms. Arteta, a City coach, gets um, a gash to the head or a cut to the head. Mourinho, I think, gets sprayed with milk, um, and then Michael Carrick steps in and and splits it up, and apparently punches thrown and, and Lukaku involved in that. Um, I mean, we're not going to condone violence on this on this podcast, but. It's uh, it's a nice throwback to to PizzaGate and some and a proper rivalry between two two teams. Yeah, it, I mean, you obviously don't like to see hear stories about punches being thrown or whatever actually happened, but yeah, it's quite nice to see that both teams are still still have that kind of uh, determination to make this a true rivalry. It's it's been almost I'd, I'd say like in terms of having two teams consistently right at the top of of English football. In terms of like fighting for the title every single year, it's been a long time. Probably since you go back to like the United Arsenal days, and then probably United Chelsea just after that. And since then, it's it's really just been like changing every season. Teams kind of go up and down. So it would be nice to have like some kind of true rivalry develop now. Um, and it seemed like there from from the stories that have been printed afterwards, it seemed like there was some genuine hatred there. Yeah, which I, I kind of like. I mean, yeah, you don't you don't want to hear about punches being thrown, but you do want to hear about the players genuinely caring and caring enough yeah. to and backing their manager, players backing each other, and not. I I don't really care if they're mates with the city players, but when it does come down to the game, that's what you want to see. Apart from the the punches being thrown, bit apart from genuine violence, you do want to see a bit of aggression and and a, the idea that they care. Um, I enjoyed it, and I particularly enjoyed that Michael Carrick split it up at the end. Because, I mean, who else? Um, but but Michael Carrick, you could pretty much guess um, who would do that. The under 18s took on Liverpool in the thick snow on Saturday morning, absolutely freezing at the cliff. The three cups of tea United give out at our old training ground were properly needed. Anyway, plenty of snow made for a quite a beautiful picture of United in red with just numbers on the back, no names against Liverpool in white. Could I mean, you could picture the cliff in the old days of Duncan Edwards like that. United took the lead through Damani Bugalmalor, a tidy finish after rounding the goalkeeper from an Aidan Barlow pass. Liverpool's captain Adam Lewis was sent off for a second booking in the first half, going studs up high on Tahith Chong, who was United's best player. Looked absolutely unstoppable at times. He's only returned from a long-term injury about three or four weeks ago as well. The visitors regained their... Placing the match after half-time, though, taking the lead after goals from Liam Miller and Glenn McCauley. United dominated as Liverpool sat back in the second half, but couldn't break them down or finish their chances until Arnel Pugmail came on as a sub and scored a 93rd-minute equaliser to rescue a point against 10 men. United should have won the game and should have taken their chances in the first half, but didn't. That's happened too many times this season at this level. 
Aliou Traore made his first start in the under-18 Premier League and impressed the midfield. United now face Derby in the FA Youth Cup on Wednesday. The under-16s, meanwhile, beat Liverpool 3-0 with goals from Ted Mengi, Mark Helm and Anthony Alanga. Right, Bournemouth on Wednesday evening and then West Brom on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the games are pretty much every three or four days January until the FA Cup third round, I think. Um, pretty much every three or four days. There's, there's a gap of two days between, between I think, the, December the 30th and New Year's Day. We've got games on each of those days. But anyway, uh, Bournemouth on Wednesday at home. Good chance to, to bounce back. Yeah, definitely. We need we need a strong performance. Um, obviously, still no, still no Pogba, but... We really need a strong performance just to bounce back from City and try and just get back on track, play our own football. Um, I think in some ways now we almost just have to forget about City and just do do what we do, try and string some wins to give us some good performances and just see where we can go from yeah, there. Yeah, two more games to last without Paul Pogba, um, but two games we should be winning without Paul Pogba, given our squad. Um, will Lukaku start against Bournemouth? He's an in- I, I, I think he will given that Mourinho kept it on against City despite a terrible performance. Um I think he will. I don't think he I don't think he should. I think he needs to be given a a swift benching. Yeah, I, I agree. Take him out of the spotlight for a little while. Um I just think whatever whatever he ends up doing on uh Wednesday, unless he's managed to score a hat trick, I think whatever he did will be scrutinised so much. I, I don't think it would be the kind of game where we necessarily need Lukaku. Um give Rashford or yeah, probably give Rashford the chance to play up front on his own or even start Ibrahimovic if he's fit enough. But yeah, I think it would probably be a good idea just to take Lukaku out of the spotlight just, for a while. I mean, you don't even have to say you're dropping him. You can say he's he's just a bit tired. Um, whatever way he wants to go about, but I don't think Lukaku should be playing on Wednesday. And, it, and it's important to give the other chance, not even Ibrahimovic, just give Rashford and Martial the chance they deserve and, and see what kind of football we can play without Lukaku and and without trying to play with the target man. Bournemouth, I'm going to go with a 2-0 win for United, and West Brom, I'll go with a... That's away from home. I'll go with a, a 1-0 boring win for United. I'm going to go for a 3-1 win against Bournemouth, and then I'll probably go 1-0 as well against West Brom. Yep. Um, cool. Thank you very much for listening to Series 3, Episode 16 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can find Jack on Twitter for more at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end. Thank you as always for listening. Um, don't be too down, but it doesn't look like we're winning the title. Um, that's, a, that's an oxymoron statement. Anyway, have a great week. Goodbye. Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.